Before John brings us the word this morning, we need to hear the word, and I want to invite up, uh, again, a part of a team that is heading up our Good News Ministry every Sunday here, ministering to the area needy. It's in our bulletin. If you're looking for a place to serve, a ministry to serve briefly on a regular basis, the Good News Ministry does an incredible amount of good in the name of Christ to our community, and John and Val Finch are a huge part of that, and Val is going to come forward this morning and read to us from the Gospel of Mark. Let's welcome Val, please. Good morning. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20 and you can find it on page 702 in the Pew Bible. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. You just set it down. Good morning and Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, I had a fantastic. Christmas week this past week, and I hope you guys did as well. Melissa and I got to spend Sunday with her family, and then spent Wednesday with mine, and then the last uh, couple days I've been, if you can't tell, fighting a, a cold. Um, and I tell you this because normally at the end of the service, I would go and wait at the door and greet you, do the high five, handshake, hug thing, but for your own sake, um, 
I will not be doing that today. Um, and I also tell you that in case I seem to peter out towards the end. I'm <laughs> a little shaky. But uh, before we jump into this passage, I kind of want to share with you some of the things God's been um, putting on my heart for the last few months, but especially through Advent. I've really been wrestling with the question of why Jesus came. Not, not, the, not the Jesus is the reason for the season kind of thing, but what was the purpose behind Jesus coming? Why did he come? We're told in John 10.10 10, that the reason he came was so that we might experience abundant life. What he actually says is this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Full life, abundant life. It's not about like quantitative life. It's not about how much stuff you have in your life. Jesus is not proud and being like, yes, that guy has every minute of his schedule booked. That is not the quantitative life Jesus is talking about, but it's qualitative the best life Jesus talks about is this life that has no equal. It is superior to all other ways of life. There is no life greater. It is the life we were created and intended to live. And yet, as I continue to wrestle with it, if I'm being really honest, I, I don't know that that's the life that I live. I don't know that when I look at my life and I look at the way I live everything, I'm like, yeah, I am fully experiencing the life Jesus has for me. I, I see it. And, and more than that, uh, I, I, for those who don't know, I, I work with the junior high and high school students. And I've gotten to see a, a lot of transition become, between students when they move from junior high to high school and then high school to college. Um, if these students really believe that the Christian life was the best life, I don't think we would lose as many as we do. If non-Christians looked at the Christian life, would they really say, yeah, that is the life. That is what it's all about. Those guys got it. That, yeah. If they did, how could they not want to follow Jesus? If they looked at our lives and said, man, that is the life. They have fully understood life to the fullest. Man, they have embraced it. They are doing exactly what Jesus said, and it's great. You see all the benefits. How could people not want to live that way? And yet when I talk with students repeatedly, it comes up that Christian life isn't the best life from their vantage point. Christian life isn't as fun. Christian life doesn't have as much meaning. And so they turn to whatever it is they think they can find fulfillment in. Whether it's drugs, sex, you know, whatever. Girls, relationships, money, because that's what we're told we're supposed to do. And like I said, I've just been wrestling a lot with this. I don't know why, but this is what's been weighing on my heart a lot. Um, and we've, we've been talking about this as a staff. We've been talking about this as youth leaders. Um, and that, that's, that's where we're at. So while I don't have all the answers, though, 
This sermon is not going to be a six steps to a fulfilled life in Christ. Um, we're going we're gonna to take a, a little time together to talk about one, one very important aspect of this life that Jesus talks about. This passage that we're going to look at today makes something very clear. The abundant life, the full life that Jesus offers us is not simply a cosmetic fix. The abundant life that Jesus offers us is not just so that we live a life that looks good and smells good to other people. So that they're around and they're like, oh, he's so nice. A little Christian boy. No, it's more than that. This life that Jesus offers us is about, some, it's, it's to permeate the deepest layers of who we are. And in that space, Jesus wants to offer freedom and restoration from anything that is not of himself. He wants to move our identity from being wrapped up in the things of this world or anything that is not of him and set us free from that so that we might be free and be able to actually live the lives we were intended to live, seated under his authority. That's what we're going to look at today. But where I want to be a little more clear, just to say it again, is the Christian life Jesus is talking about is not about symptom management. Jesus is not interested in behavioral management. He's not interested in saying, here's X, Y, and Z, and you have to do these kind of rules. No, he's about freedom. He's about restoration. And yet, when I talk with students, all they talk about is Christianity has just put a bunch of rules on me. I'm saying this because as we dive in, I'm not going to tell you any rules. I'm not going to tell you you have to do this, that, and the other thing. What you're going to see is a Jesus inviting you to an abundant life that simply involves you being with him. He's not asking you to do anything. Just stop trying to do all your other stuff. All right. Before we dive into the passage again, there's just a couple things I want to clarify that I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about today. But even when we read them, you probably noticed this passage involves a lot about demons. A lot about demons. Um, in our American culture, we can kind of approach demons one of two ways. The first way is we can kind of blow off demons. We go, oh, Bible times, they don't know what they're talking about. They weren't actually demons. They were psychological problems that this guy was suffering from. And you see, we totally eradicate the idea of demons existing. And the Bible's like, no, demons exist, okay? We have to recognize they exist. The other pitfall that we can fall into as American Christians, though, is sometimes we look at demons and become obsessed with demon culture, we want to know, oh, how many demons are there? Oh, what were their names? What did they look like? What did they do? Oh, is that a demon? Oh, that's a demon. Oh, sister, you're possessed. There's a demon in that. And we over-demonize everything. And we've got these two balances where you've got one where they've completely eliminated the idea of demons, and then the other one where you're trying to find demons in everything. And what I'm telling you is we need to see, even in this passage, there's a middle ground. Demons exist. They are real. There are spiritual forces at work in the world. And whether we like to admit it in our scientific American minds, get over it. They're real. Okay? But just because they're real doesn't mean they're behind everything. We live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. And frankly, Satan doesn't have to do that much in a lot of areas in our life to take hold. 
So we've got to hold this tension. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'm going to talk about in this passage that I'm not going to spend much time in is it actually comes out of the first verse. It says, when they crossed the lake into the region of Garak, I'm sorry, I'm not even looking at it. Gerasenes. Gerasenes. This is Gentile territory. In Mark, Jesus has spent his entire time in Jewish territory. This is the first time he moves to non-Jewish territory. And the thing that's most interesting, as you're going to see in this, is this freedom and restoration that Jesus offers, this life abundantly that Jesus comes to offer, is available not just to the Jews, but to everyone. And it's demonstrated by him saying, look, ethnic barriers have nothing here. I'm going straight to the people. This goes to everybody. All right, with that, let's jump back into the passage. We're going to spend the rest of our time in here. Uh, I'm just going to read the first six verses or first five verses, and these are going to help us to get an idea of this guy's circumstance. And as you're going to see, it's pretty bleak. It's not looking good for him. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This guy was suffering from what we would label today as antisocial, violent, self-mutilating behavior. Somehow, he, he could no longer persist in being a part of community, so he has fled to the hills, the tombs of their day, where nobody hung out. And while he's there, he's tormented by these spirits within him. He's got some deep depression, most likely, going on. Things, he just keeps hearing things in his head, and he's just freaking out on the inside. And so to relieve the pain, he takes sharp knives, and he starts cutting himself. This is something people do today still. This is something our teenagers do today fairly regularly. It's a way of alleviating the pain or at least controlling the pain in some manageable form. It's, it's a sign of pure desperation. But what we see also in this passage and that I think sometimes we blow over is the people in the village actually had compassion on the man. They tried to help him. It says he could no longer be bound by chain, meaning they tried to bind him by chain. They tried to get him to, from stopping, to, they tried to get him to stop hurting himself. They tried. In their pre-medical era, they didn't have sedatives. They didn't have padded rooms. They didn't have psych wards. They couldn't lock him away so he couldn't hurt himself. So what they did was they would bind him. But the problem is this guy had so much going on, he was able to somehow rip out these bindings and get free. And, and from this point on, we don't know how long he did this. It, we can assume years. Everyone knew who this guy was in town. And he's running amok, cutting himself, screaming. And you would just hear him haunting, haunting throughout the night. You'd hear the yells and pains of this man. Extreme agony. And yet, what we're going to see then is this man comes to encounter Jesus. And we're going to see something very interesting happen. The demons are going to recognize Jesus immediately and they're going to fall before him. But the man isn't going to want to let the demons go. Even in the midst of his pain and his agony and his suffering, he can't seem to imagine life without them. Look what it says in verse 6. 
When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. And he, the man, begged Jesus again and again to not send them out of this area. The demons have no problem recognizing who Jesus is. They go before him, they fall, they shout, son of the most high God. They give him the exact title the father gave him. They know who he is. They immediately recognize his superiority. Normally, when Jesus casts out a demon, there's no problem. They're released. They automatically submit. This time it doesn't happen. Did you notice that Jesus says, get out, and they don't? Jesus tells them, verse, nine, or verse 8, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked, what is your name? Meaning it didn't work. The demon is still there. Something, something's holding the demon back. Why isn't the demon being released? Don't get caught up in the name thing. Get caught up in the fact that the demon is still present. Verse 10, I think, is the key to this entire passage. I think it's the key to this, this whole thing, and I think it's the most difficult part to wrestle with. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. For this man, even in the midst of his torment and his agony and his sufferings caused by these demons, his identity was so wrapped up in them, he could not imagine life without them. He couldn't imagine what it would look like to live a life apart from the demons. Even though it caused pain, even though it caused suffering, he couldn't shake it. He just he couldn't let it go. And before we jump to conclusions about this guy, I think we do this all the time. I think it's easiest to see with an addict. Easiest to see with an addict. And they will tell you if you talked with them that they're, even though they recognize that the alcohol or the drugs is absolutely terrible for them and it's destroying them on the inside, sometimes their addictions become so entwined with their identity, they cannot imagine their lives apart from those things. They cannot. And that is why in AA, you have to submit to a higher authority. You've got to find your identity outside of yourself, outside of what you do, outside of who you are. We do this. And it's not just, it's not just addicts. One person that's taught me a lot about this lately has been Pastor Chris. When you come to Pastor Chris and you talk about stuff, whatever it is, I got to struggle with this. I'm, I've got this going on or whatever it is. You bring a symptom to Chris. You know, I'm, I got this going on. I snapped at my wife. I was looking at porn. I was doing whatever. You name it. Okay, whatever your thing is. You come to Chris. He will always, without fail, go, why? What's behind that? What's the cause? Because what Chris gets at and what Jesus is trying to get at in this whole thing is, Look, we can continue to try to manage symptoms, but so you control your addiction in this area, it's just going to pop up over here. You've got to get to that root issue. And the only way you're going to do that is you've got to explore that. 
You've got to press in deeper. What's behind that addiction? What's behind that symptom? What's behind that sin? What is causing you to do those things? And I'll tell you, it's pretty easy to stay on the surface. It's easy for me to come out and admit, I sin in this way, this way, and this way. It gets really hard and really uncomfortable, and I become very insecure when you start to push me on why. When it starts to come out that I've got some pride issues, deep down that I don't want to let go of, that I've got control issues, that I'm not willing to submit to Jesus yet. I don't want to let my money be his money. I don't want to let my time schedule be his time schedule. I like having that control. And the more and more you press, and the more I start to see, oh, that is, that is raw. That is, that is painful. The more I tend to sympathize with the guy in this passage. No, Jesus, please don't take that from me. If you take that, I've got nothing. If you take that, I, I'm left alone. I don't have anything. Our identities can be so wrapped up in things of the world, in our own demons, that often we can fight against this life that Jesus offers us. This next section of the passage is really interesting. One, I was reading it, I, I, and I'm still not entirely clear on this. I consulted a number of commentaries. Why do the demons get to choose where they go next? It's not Jesus saying, yeah, yeah, I'm going to pick a spot and pigs, go. No, the demons say, hey, there's pigs over there. Let us go there. Why? Is there something magical about pigs? No, there's nothing. You could explore that. It's going to be a dead end. I think the reason Jesus allows them to go, though, is because it's a way because the man can't seem to shake these demons, so he wants to allow the man, Jesus wants to allow the man to see the destructive force at work within himself. He needs to separate the man from this, give him kind of a bird's eye view of what's going on. So if you remember John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. So what happens? The demons flee to the pigs and they go cliff jumping. They die. They go crazy. And the man and all the villagers are watching this destructive force at work. And they get a very tangible example of the power of Satan, of the power of the things of the world that are not of God. And then they also see this life that Jesus offers them. If you look in verse 15, it's very, very night and day from where the passage began to where the man is now. It says he was dressed, seated at, the, seated at the feet of Jesus and in his right mind. This guy has encountered the full restoration, the full freedom that Jesus offers him and is now living the right way. He is now living the way he was intended to live under the authority of his father, under the authority of his king. And out of that, the man can live rightly. He's no longer tormented by whatever it was wrapping up his identity before, these demons. And the truth of this passage is this, this freedom that the man was offered is the same freedom we're offered. 
If you're like me and you look at your own life and you're like, what the heck? I read about this life in the Bible and I don't see that. Are you really submitting to Jesus? Are you really bringing your stuff forward and asking Jesus to heal those demons? Or are we like the man in verse 10 and begging Jesus, no, not that. I'm okay if you take care of the symptoms, but not that. Don't, don't touch that. And maybe, maybe you're like me and you're pretty oblivious in life. And you're like, I, well, I don't even know what those deeper root issues are. I just keep allowing Jesus to take care of the symptoms and it's working for me. Okay, but you probably recognize there's some issues. As I've been wrestling with, well, how do, I, how do I continue to pursue this life that Jesus offers me? How do I live this abundant life? Uh, like I said, I've, I'm wrestling a lot with this. I, I think the main thing, and the main thing I've becoming to find is it's, it doesn't happen accidentally. I have to make an intentional effort to pursue the life that Jesus offers me. I just can't stumble into it. I can't just go one day, wake up and be like, man, this is the life Jesus was talking about. Wow, that's fun. It takes a lifelong pursuit of continual submit, submitting and bringing things before Jesus and saying, I need help in this area. Help heal me here. And then allowing him to continue to push deeper and deeper into that root and allow that to be taken out and submitted to him. So how do you do that? Well, I will tell you, my wife and other people, if you give them a piece of paper and a pen and give them like an hour or two alone, they'll come back with a ton of ideas and thoughts about, you know, some great introspection and things like that. And if that's how you work, that's awesome. But the key is you've got to take the time, set it aside with Jesus regularly, and you're not always going to get something out of it but continually bringing yourself before Christ, saying, God, what is it you're trying to reveal to me? As you're reading the scriptures, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me through this? What are you trying to say to me? I will tell you, if you send me away with a piece of paper and a pen, I will come back after a few hours with some doodles, a couple stick figures, and a lot of frustration. <laughs> Doesn't work for me at all. But what works for me is being in community and being in a place where I'm honest and vulnerable with other guys. Recently, I've gotten to do this with Drew Lee and Pastor Chris on a regular basis, and I will tell you, it is very difficult. It's uncomfortable to continue to bear yourself, the good and the bad, and allow somebody to push, why? <laughs> why do you do that? What's behind that? And continue to get to those roots where you're so insecure and uncomfortable at times. You're like, okay, let's just close this conversation. How was your day? <laughs> but at the same time, that's where real freedom comes. That's where we start to experience the restoration that Jesus talks about. And so my encouragement, we're talking New Year's, right? It's around the corner. You've got a million other resolutions you probably want to start and then break three days later. Why don't you consider, consider making some sort of regular routine with Jesus a part of your New Year's resolution? I'm not going to give you time. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. I, I don't know. It's on you. But Jesus invites you to experience the same restoration and freedom that the man does in this passage. 
but it doesn't come accidentally. So my encouragement this, or this, this New Year's, wrestle with what does it look like to sit with Jesus? What does it look like to allow him time in your life to speak? I'm getting a little warm and I need to sit down <laughs> from this cold, but I'm gonna pray. And then um, my encouragement as we do the offering, pull out your Kairos cards. <laughs> what is the Lord saying to you? What does he want to remind you about? What is he speaking about your identity? And when he's speaking to your identity, what is he asking you to do about it? I'll tell you, for me, it comes on a lot of areas. Um, this week alone has been on a lot of control areas. And he's just trying to remind me over and over, I've got you. I've got you. And so with that, it's, it's releasing control of things. That's my action. Father God, thank you for today and this time that we get to come together as brothers and sisters and wrestle with what this abundant life you have promised us looks like. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who works powerfully, mightily, but most importantly, intimately and personally in our lives. That you are a God who is not content with helping us to look and smell good on the outside, but Lord, you're looking to, to provide an abundant life that affects us, affects all aspects of our lives to the deepest, deepest areas and brings about healing, restoration, and freedom. And I pray, Lord, that as we, as we come and encounter you, as you continue to speak into those areas in our lives that we're not comfortable exploring, Lord, that you would remind us of who you are and you would remind us of whose we are. And Lord, as we continue to press into that, may we continue to experience the true, abundant, great life that you have offered us in Jesus. And I pray all of this in his name. Amen.